This is William Hung, and you're listening to the Society Show. Kim's the first girl I kissed. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, hello, this is The Society Show. My name is Christian, you are now listening to The Society Show. Um, I want to start up this episode uh, on kind of a housekeeping note, so I gotta be honest, like, I'm getting a little fatigued from doing the podcast, and I'm gonna keep doing the podcast, but... You know, we're on season five of the Society Show, right? This is season five. It's been going on for 25 plus episodes. And I think it's a good time to wrap up season five. And meanwhile, you know, I have a lot of other creative endeavors going on. Um, I've been getting more into writing again, which is my main passion, honestly. Um, I've been working on some other projects for the podcast. I'm trying to get old clips from the show uploaded to YouTube. I'm also trying to work on some other projects and whatnot that uh, are tied into the show. And so that being said... This will be the season finale of season five, and I'll come back re-energized, ready for season six. I will probably take a little bit of a sabbatical. I'm not sure how long, but about a month or two. So this show, this will be the last episode in a while. And um, going off of that... This episode is going to be real stripped down. It's just going to be me and the mic. I'm not going to do a lot of sound drops. I'm not going to do the type of like sound editing you're accustomed to. I'm going to do a little editing, but I'm not going to go through it with a sound or a, a fine tooth comb kind of cutting out any little um or ah uh or hesitation anything like that i'm not gonna add in my sound drops it's a real stripped down episode and it'll be a short episode so that's the housekeeping segment of this i am doing a break from the show following this episode and this will be a little more laid back episode because the thing is i I don't think people realize that like I am the writer of the show. I am the writing room. I am the host. I am the entire production team. I do all of that stuff, and sometimes it can really stress me out, especially when I have other projects I'm working on. But having said all that, the Society Show is not going anywhere. This is still a passion project for me. I just need a little bit of a break to feel that passion again. And having said that... Let's get into some news, shall we? The first piece of news I'm going to talk about, this is from AP News. The headline is, Turmoil as Peru Leader Sets Second Cabinet Overhaul This Week. And I want to highlight this because I was very happy when Pedro Castillo 
was elected in Peru, especially because he was running against um, a member of the Fujimori family, which has a history of very right-wing corruption and horrible political opinions and consolidating power and self-coups, all of that type of stuff. Alberto Fujimori did that in the 90s, and his daughter, I want to say, was running against Pedro Castillo, who in the daughter has her own issues, by the way, but... Pedro Castillo has really kind of shit the bed, for lack of a better word. He has, his approval rating is just in the crapper, and his beginning of his time in office has been marked by what seems like a lot of corruption. So, let's read into the, the bulk of this article. Quote, Turmoil in Peru's government boiled over, oh, excuse me, boiled even more Friday as President Pedro Castillo announced plans for a fourth cabinet shakeup in six months, moving just three days after the third overhaul of his ministers that was quickly followed by revelations that his newest prime minister once faced domestic violence allegations. The president's struggle this week has only added to earlier doubts raised about the political neophyte's ability to lead a nation. Now, I will say that the way a place like AP News is going to report on this is slightly biased. Pedro Castillo is left-wing, especially economically, right-wing. He's kind of right-wing when it comes to social issues. Um, like, for example, he's anti-abortion, but again, in Peru, it's one of the... It, Peru is probably the most anti-abortion country in the world, based on polling. Like, 90% are opposed, or something crazy like that. So, I mean, I guess that kind of explains it, but... My personal criticism of him, and it will be a different criticism than the AP News has, is like many politicians, he really drastically toned down his more radical political rhetoric, his more pro-indigenous and pro-working class rhetoric when he got power. Um, And this article even highlights that. They wrote, quote, Castillo, a rural school teacher in a poor Andean district, was an underdog when he entered the race for the presidency last year and initially campaigned on promises to nationalize Peru's crucial mining industry and rewrite the Constitution to end the historical discrimination against indigenous people and vulnerable populations. He softened his rhetoric when he advanced to the runoff and shocked everyone when he won. This article then goes on to say that, like, a lot of people were critical of him because he didn't have political experience at all. He... has changed cabinet several times. He has really just been accused of a lot of kind of corrupt behavior. Um, And... 
he what this article is saying is that a lot of people in his administration um are upset with him because he listens to a lot of just like weirdos as political advisors now again i do have to emphasize that um a lot of the criticisms here are coming from an anti-left-wing press. Um, you know, they are reporting the facts ostensibly. It's AP News. They supposedly don't have an agenda. But don't get it twisted. Like, places like AP News want to take down the left. Maybe not explicitly, but they know how to frame stories in a way that paints the left in, in kind of a bad way. But my criticism of Castillo is his lack of political experience might seem like a good thing. It, in, it, in maybe in some ways it is. The issue is he, he didn't have political experience entering into a political system that has been rife with corruption basically its entire existence. And that's nothing against Peru. That's just like how their political structure has been organized. And I think his lack of experience combi combined with that basically gives him no tools to implement any left-wing policy he actually wanted to implement. And I just don't know if he's strong-willed enough to have an agenda. He's not like a Leninist or a Napoleonic figure who is kind of taking their vision of the world and forcing it upon the world with will and willpower, that type of political figure. I don't think he has that, which is unfortunate, but I'll keep my eyes on this, and I guess we'll see the fate of President Pedro Castillo as time moves on. For this next story, I don't want to talk about the Russia-Ukraine situation too much, my reason being, um, I talked about it last week if you want to hear some more thoughts on this, but I have this article from February 4th in the New York Post. Headline, Bloomberg accidentally reports that Russia invaded Ukraine. Someone posted a screenshot it is no longer there. It says it's like a screenshot of the Bloomberg homepage. On the left-hand side is a ticker. Um, it includes why we don't know how the pandemic affected homelessness. That's a headline. I could I could tell you how, but that's besides the point. Um, all of these different headlines like that. And at the very top, live 24 minutes ago, Russia invades Ukraine. Now, this was deleted. Let me read from the New York Post a little more about this. Quote, Bloomberg made a blunder. The financial news site accidentally reported that Russia had invaded Ukraine Friday afternoon with a headline on its homepage. Live, Russia invades for Ukraine, read a jarring headline on Bloomberg's homepage at around 4 p.m. It stayed up for about 30 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, what I want to highlight about this this is not an accident. There is no way this is an accident. 
Bloomberg, both the guy and the people who work for the magazine would just be like jizzing all over themselves, just all over themselves if uh, this were true. And they want to escalate tension. They know that it, they know that some people will see this and will be going around saying Russia invaded Ukraine. And then people in their everyday life will be like, no, that's not true. I would have heard about that. And they'll say, no, I saw it on Bloomberg. They will never know this was deleted. Bloomberg never like publicized a correction. I mean, they submitted a statement for this article basically saying it was an error, but there's no way this was an accident. I'm I'm just saying it. Like, that is such a dumb, that is such a dumb accident, and I don't believe it's possible for that to be an accident. And that's kind of all I have to say about it, honestly. Like, give me a break. I have another story here. This is from CNN Business. You may have heard about this. Headline, Rotterdam may dismantle historic bridge for super yacht uh, reportedly owned by Jeff Bezos. And then from the body of the article, Rotterdam is considering a request to dismantle part of a historic bridge to allow a yacht reportedly owned by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos to leave the shipyard where it is being built. The Dutch city has received a request from a local shipbuilder to remove the central section of the historic Koningshaven Bridge so that a super yacht can sail to the sea. Now, here, here are my questions about this. Is Most people's focus is on the fact that it is a historic bridge. And that is true. I mean, I've seen it. It definitely looks historic, and it's right in the middle of Rotterdam, which seems to be a beautiful city. I've never been there. I can kind of imagine because I have been to the Netherlands, but not Rotterdam. But what people aren't talking... Yeah, so, I mean, there's people focused on the fact that it is a historic bridge, and that's bad enough. But what people aren't focusing on is that it is a bridge for cars people travel on it um it's not just like some dumb dumb bridge it is a like bridge that is used excuse me it's not used for cars i believe it is used for trains the um bridge used for cars is right next to it. So I I guess I'm a little confused what exactly will have to be dismantled and what won't. But it's besides the point that not only is this dismantling a historic bridge, that's bad enough, but like these are bridges with functions. They're not just there for fun. And I think like imagine having your life disrupted for the like who knows months that it takes to dismantle the bridge followed by like the months to put it back together where are they gonna put the stuff um okay so i'm sorry i don't know if this bridge is used at all but that's besides the point even if it's not used for travel it still creates issues simply by like being dismantled and i mean I guess it just goes to show that there is no history that is historical enough 
um, for a capitalist to value. If it gets in their way of their freedom to enjoy their stupid freaking yachts, they will do whatever they want to it. The, Jeff Bezos does not give a single shit about Dutch people. He does not give a shit about the residents of Rotterdam. He doesn't give a shit about the people anywhere he lives or works. He really just cares about himself. I mean, that goes without saying, but this is just the most ugly, just evil, like, I think, like, sure, it's not as evil as, like, some things you can do, but I do feel like you have to be an evil-ass person to even want to do this, like, it, it shows such a, it just shows how terrible he is, like, Come on, man. What is wrong with you? What a scumbag. Absolute scum. And that's those are my thoughts on Jeff Bezos. I think that kind of speaks for itself. Now, moving on to uh, the Netherlands neighbor to the east. I have a story from Germany. This is from The Guardian, and... Um, This is a funny article because if you read a lot about what's going on in um, Russia and Ukraine, you'll find that uh, there's been several articles criticizing Germany. And the reason why is Germany does not want to get involved. They are not trying to fight Russia. And I mean, good for them. The thing is, Germany... Even when, um, when Angela Merkel was in charge, we're still kind of opposed to this, this like saber rattling against Russia. For example, they were they were getting the Nord Stream pipeline, which would basically send gas from Russia to Germany. And the U.S. was all pissy about this because they would much rather Germany get American gas, even though it's way less efficient. You have to send it by ship across an ocean. So it's not even like because their new chancellor, Olaf Scholz, he is a member of the SPD, the like liberal left party in Germany. It's not even because of that that uh, they are kind of, like, not wanting to confront Russia. Germany's always been a little warmer to Russia, at least in the past 20 years, um, than most other NATO members. And, I mean, that's certainly historically not the case. The Germans and Russians are great rivals, uh, historically speaking. But uh, let's... Let's read a little more from this article. The guy who wrote it is Philip Olterman, who I believe is German. It says that he lives in Berlin, and his name certainly sounds German. Um, He's basically writing this to uh, pressure the SPD to be harder on Russia. So let's get into it. Quote, Germany's new chancellor, Olaf Scholz, is waving goodbye to the honeymoon period of his tenure as his inaudible stance over the brewing crisis on the Ukrainian border is failing to impress not just Russia hawks abroad, but also more ambivalent voters at home. 
Schultz, whose liberal left traffic light coalition was sworn in less than two months ago, has been criticized by Kiev and other East Central European capitals for sticking to his country's restrictive stance on weapons export to crisis regions and looking slow to spell out the potential sanctions that could be triggered by a Russian invasion into Ukraine. This week, Schultz has also had to face similar criticism in Berlin, however. How does it feel when allies are classifying Germany's attitudes as unreliable, a social democrat politician was asked in an interview on German television on Wednesday night? When Schultz denied this was the case, the host interrupted him, pointing out that even his ambassador in Washington had warned in a leaked memo that, quote, Germany, we have a problem. Which, okay, this is so freaking stupid. Of course the German ambassador to the war machine factory would say some crap like this. Um, Germany is doing exactly what European countries should be doing. Because you know what happens when countries give arms to Ukraine to fight Russia? They end up in the hands of neo-nazi militias like that is literally literally when the u.s was funneling weaponry to um ukraine in the past they ended up in the hands of the azov battalion is that a coincidence did that just happen is that what it intended probably not considering you know the u.s was arming isis in their war against syria anyway um they go on, quote, a survey by Polster Infratest DMAP published on Thursday saw support for Schultz's SPD drop to 22%, overtaken by the conservative Christian Democratic Union on 27%. His personal approval rating dropped by 17 percentage points. This article also... Olaf Schultz's predecessor of the SPD, a guy named Gerhard Schroeder, um, he was basically Olaf Schultz's former boss, is how this characterizes him. He um, is constantly making comments. Um, so he, uh, let me quote this exactly. Quote, Gerard Schroeder continues to comment on global affairs in his role as chair of Russian energy companies Nord Stream and Rosneft. So a lot of this is being overshadowed by the fact that the dude's former boss is now working for Russia and keeps commenting on it. So would people be as ir- would Germans at least be as irritated by this if th- that wasn't happening? Probably not, honestly. Um, would they be as irritated by it if like the Warhawks in the U.S. and U.K. were um say were saber saber rattling about this less? No, they probably would would not. They would probably be okay with it, but. Who's to say? I don't know. I think this is just really stupid, and it's basically trying to put pressure on the SPD to arm Ukraine, which I think is a, it would be bad for them to do that. 
maybe not politically, maybe the German people really are the same level of war hawks as Americans are. I doubt it, though. <clears throat> and the reason I say that is because later on in the article, um, that every party that has power in the Bundestag, their parliament, opposes... Um, r- arms exports into crisis regions like that is just considered a principle of german politics and also 71 percent um of the electorate of any party opposes arms exports into crisis regions So the SPD is actually doing the will of the German people. Now that might be kind of warping, you know, a lot of people can say they're opposed, but then as soon as Russia seems scary, they're like, oh, we got to do something about this. Those scheming Russians are at it again. You know, people are kind of fickle like that. So who knows, but... I do think Germany is on the right path by handling things the way they are. And it does also highlight a very interesting cultural divide in this article where the like more people living in former East Germany blame the U.S. for intensifying the conflict in eastern Ukraine, while in western Germany, more people blame Russia, and it's a pretty stark divide, um, when obviously it's the United States. Give me a freaking break. I mean, the well, they're both escalating, but the U.S. is escalating way more. And our final story, this is from... Uh, The New York Times, the headline, quote, Times investigation in U.S. drone strike evidence suggests no ISIS bomb. Subhead, U.S. officials said a Reaper drone followed a car for hours and then fired based on evidence it was carrying explosives. But an in-depth video analysis and interviews at the site cast doubt on that account. So let's read a little more into the body of the text. Quote, it was the last known missile fired by the United States in its 20-year war in Afghanistan, and the military called it a, quote, righteous strike, a drone attack after hours of surveillance on August 29th against a vehicle that American officials thought contained an ISIS bomb and posed an imminent threat to troops at Kabul's airport. But a New York Times investigation of video evidence, along with interviews with more than a dozen of the driver's co-workers and family members in Kabul, raises doubts about the U.S.'s version of the events, including whether explosives were present in the vehicle, whether the driver had a connection to ISIS, and whether there was a second explosion after the missile struck the car. So when you read what the U.S. military actually had to say about this, it's clear that they didn't know shit and they were just talking out of their ass. Quote, military officials said they did not know the identity of the car's driver when the drone fired, but deemed him suspicious because of how they interpreted his activities that day, saying that he possibly visited an ISIS safe house and at one point loaded what they thought could be explosives into the car. So what it sounds like this guy did is he 
pick something up from a friend or family member who lived in a suspicious house, apparently. Maybe they were next door to an ISIS guy. And then the person was so, I imagine they're like, yeah, I need a new fridge. Can you get rid of this one for me? Oh, yeah, sure. Let me load it into my truck. Um, And then an hour later gets droned out of thin air. Um, so, and that's like the U.S. military's official theory. Yeah, we, we thought he was suspicious because he loaded something into a truck out of a place we thought might be ISIS-related. Well, let's read on, shall we? Hmm. Quote, Times reporting has identified the driver as Zamari Amadi, a longtime worker for a U.S. aid group. The evidence suggests that his travels that day actually involved transporting colleagues to and from work. And an analysis of video feeds shows showed that what the military may have seen was Mr. Amadi and a colleague loading canisters of water into his trunk to bring home to his family. While the U.S. military said the drone strike might have killed three civilians, Times reporting showed that it killed ten, including seven children, in a dense residential block. So they didn't even wait for this guy to be in, like, a rural area to kill him. They waited until he was, like, imagine a densely populated area of your city or the nearest major city to you. They just smoked them out of thin air right there didn't care who they killed around there are plenty of pedestrians around apparently now here's the let me put my tinfoil hat on the really really suspicious thing about this he was a longtime worker for a u.s aid group why would someone with ties to a U.S. aid group be visiting sites that have potential ISIS ties. Hmm. Why would a man who works for a U.S. aid group be visiting a site with potential ISIS ties? I just have to repeat the question. Why, how would that be? Well, we do know that, the, as I mentioned earlier in this very episode, the U.S. has at, uh, given material support to ISIS. I'll also just point out that it is a very, very widely held belief in much of the Middle East that ISIS is enabled and supported by the United States. That could be true. Hmm. Very interesting. And I will say, you know, there was also that drone strike against the leader of ISIS in Syria recently. And um, it it does seem like uh, that was also very hasty and maybe killed civilians. But... uh, Yeah, it seems like the U.S. might be trying to clean up the leftovers of the uh, fake faction they may have created. The ISIS has very um, Mujahideen vibes to it. 
And with that, I suppose that's a good place to stop. It has been a short episode. Again, this is the end of season five and the show's going on a short hiatus, maybe a month or two. Um, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. I will be posting updates about the show and its future status there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool is spelled I Z Christian I Z cool. I will also be posting through the hiatus. So check in with me if you want any updates and you can follow the podcast on tw- um, on online at, at the website at societyshow.net. I will probably be updating it during the hiatus as well. I'm going to be using this time to upload a lot of clips from the show so far to YouTube. I want to have more of a YouTube presence and I'm just working on other projects and stuff. So ask me how I'm doing. If you miss the show, I'll provide updates and I love the society show and um, I'm just not feeling as inspired as I used to be. So I just need a little break and I'll come back and the show will be better than ever. It'll be season six. So this is not goodbye. I don't want to make it too sad. It is a short hiatus, short break between seasons. And with that, this has been The Society Show.